Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up. It's Friday, April 21st. Today's podcast focuses exclusively on this week's features from the WFEV Newsroom. I'm Megan Oftermat. And I'm Jay Doherty. And here are this week's feature stories. Depeche Mode is back with a 15th album and the band's first release as a duo. Music director Russ Boris sits down with Robin Shannon to chat about his recent interview with Martin Gore of Depeche Mode. Russ, you recently interviewed Martin Gore of Depeche Mode, and the band is out with a new album. Uh, and they're also going on a world tour, but I want to start with the music. What's your take on the new album? How, how's it pronounced? Memento Mori? Memento Mori, mm-hmm. yeah, which is Latin for um, you will all die or we all, something like, you know, it, you have to die. I for, I'm, I'm, forgive me for not knowing the exact translation, but that's more or less what it gets to. That's it's very about cheery. Death. Yes, and it seemed like it was related to the passing of Andrew Fletcher of the band, uh, who died um, in the middle of the pandemic. Unrelated, had a, 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 I think it was a aortic dissection or some very strange, a heart problem, uh, you know, something. unexpected, you know, death. Um, but as I talked to Martin, I found out that, you know, they had written a, a lot of the record, you know, before Andrew had passed and um, had also come up with the album title before. So it was completely unrelated. I think this is the band's best record in about 15 years. Um, there's a certain level of invigoration, I think, here. Um, there's a familiarity to where it's in the pocket and it sounds like Depeche Mode, but, you know, they've, they're branching out in, in, in a way that I think the band has always done, but maybe it's just a little bit more focused than the last couple of records. So uh, Depeche Mode started as a four-member band, uh, really three, uh, but the quartet is really now a duo after you said the death of Andy Fletcher. So when you talk to Martin, did he mention how this loss might have affected um, him, the sound, the music? I know they had some of the music written already, but did it change in any way? Yeah, uh, the sense I got from from Martin is, you know, they're it's still pretty fresh, you know, in in the wound uh, of losing Fletch, and you know he had been, uh, you know, the bridge for those guys for so long. I had I had spoken to Fletch about ten years ago, and he kind of jokingly said, he's like, well, Martin and David don't really like this, so this is kind of what I get to do, you know, uh-huh. almost knowing like he had to be sort of the the promo guy and like keep it all together and the Martin, mouthpiece. yeah and Martin and David have have a you know I don't want to say a complicated relationship but like any you know strong uh, duo in a band you know there's I don't want to say friction either but you know there's certain roles and I think Fletch was probably the the liaison between the two and always the bridge to kind of keep it together so they had to figure out like okay how are we just doing this just you and me I, I think that they've um they've found that bridge somehow and and have been able to move forward. And I think that's um, that's a testament to their uh, commitment to the band, for sure. Russ, what do you think is the standout song on this new album and why? <sighs> All right, I'm going to cop out and give you two. Okay. Um, only because, um, you know, Ghosts Again was the first song that everybody heard. So they came out of the gate with a song that was really, um, you know, getting people excited about the return for the band. Uh, there's another re- uh, song on the record called Wagging Tongue that really stands out to me because of this line that says... Um, uh, everything sounds hollow when you watch another angel die. And I don't know why that stuck with me so much. And I thought, in any way, is that like post-Fletch or anything? But it didn't really sound like that's how it worked out. But I, I heard it in that way. And that's um, that's sort of the beauty of, of the perception. Um, and as a songwriter, I've often talked to different you know um, artists about, they write the songs and it's up to the listener to sort of interpret and figure out how they take it and what they take out of it. 
Um, I don't find most songwriters are writing it to say, like, this is what I mean and you will understand it. It, it doesn't feel that simple. Yeah. It feels open for interpretation. Yeah. And that's a very poetic line, too. It is. Very poetic. Uh, now I have to ask you, Russ, what is, out of 40 years, what's your that's not one? Fair. I know it's not fair. I'm going to ask you anyway. I know what you're going to do, and it's not what's fair. What's your number one go-to Depeche Mode song go? Only one. I can't give you a reason for this first. <laughs> Can I give you one that Martin sung and one that David sings? Yes. Can I do that? You can do that. Okay, so I win. Um, okay, so if you're just going to say the one, 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 maybe it's enjoy the silence as we go back to Violator. So I'll say that today in this moment. <laughs> but then it's probably also from Martin, because I think Martin is a little underappreciated in terms of you know the songs that he sings on the records, because usually every album has one or two Martin songs on it. Uh, but the live version of somebody that goes back to 101, I think, is just insane. And it's just beauty. You know, so in terms, like, I'm not the love song guy, but, like, that's a great love song. Somebody is, that's one of those songs that you, you still tear up to. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, you got your two. Thanks, Russ Boris. Thank you. I want somebody to share, share the rest of my life, share my innermost thoughts, know my intimate details, someone will stand by my side and give me support, and in return, she'll get my support, she will listen to me. That was WFUV's Robin Shannon talking with music director Russ Boris. You can check out the full interview at WFUV.org. New York City is in full bloom, with cherry blossoms popping up all throughout the five boroughs. WFUV's Taylor Massetta checked out the Central Park Conservancy's new cherry blossom tracker that launched this spring. Spring has sprung in New York City, and its more than 1,700 parks are looking much pinker than usual. The cherry blossoms are in full bloom, bringing a bright pop of color to the big city. Peter Hopped is the tree care manager at the Central Park Conservancy. He told me a little about cherry blossoms' history in New York City. Some of the oldest specimens are along the east and west sides of the reservoir, and many of those, many of the older trees in those plantings were part of a gift from Japan in 1912, uh, where they sent 2,500 cherry trees to New York City uh, as a gift. Many of those uh, still exist along the reservoir and in a few other locations throughout the park, as well as New York City. This year, Central Park made it a lot easier for New Yorkers to find the prettiest trees. It's a digital, interactive version of their cherry blossom tracker. The park brought it online after the success of their virtual fall foliage tracker. So the cherry blossom tracker is intended to direct park visitors to the locations of the park where cherry blossoms are in their prime. Right here in the Bronx, the botanical gardens also have had a full slate of cherry blossoms on display. I stopped by on a sunny spring day and sat right under a Yoshino cherry tree. Nearly every passerby stopped to marvel at the blossoms. Melissa Finley is the curator of woody plants at the garden. She says that it has been a great season so far for the cherry blossoms, thanks to the warm weather. 
Japanese flowering cherries tend to have a pretty、um, reliable flowering period. So compared to something like lilacs or magnolias,、um, which are a lot more temperamental and a lot,、uh, they tend to be damaged by late frosts a lot easier. The cherries are slightly later,、um, so we're less likely to have、um, those kind of cold snaps or late frosts to damage them. Finley recommends going to seed the trees soon before peak bloom ends. She says that it is a quintessential part of spring. In Japan, they call it hanami, which is flower viewing, and people have been doing that since like the 700s. It's it's been a kind of a ceremonial practice that everyone kind of comes around there. They talk about the draw is that cherries are so beautiful, but also so fleeting, and that it's kind of a you know a metaphor for the ephemerality of life. And for New Yorkers, the cherry blossoms represent something special. We get this little gift of spring to see something、um, beautiful in our otherwise sometimes harsh urban environment,、um, and it's beautiful and fleeting, and that's powerful. If you want to check out Central Park's cherry blossom tracker, visit their website centralparknyc.org/cherry-blossoms. It'll show you all of the spots at peak bloom throughout the park. I'm Taylor Masetta, WFUV News. That was WFUV's Taylor Masetta talking about New York City's cherry blossom trees. There are over 200 languages at risk of disappearing in New York City. An exhibit in Brooklyn called Anchorage: Babel in Reverse is fighting to preserve these languages at risk of extinction, with the help of the Endangered Language Alliance. WFUV's Nicoletta Papavasilakis has more. Under the Dumbo Archway in Brooklyn, you can hear the familiar sounds of New York City: angry drivers in traffic, tourists taking photos, the roar of the M train right above. But when that dies down, you'll start to hear something less common. Hundreds of languages near extinction in New York City. They're part of an audio immersive installation called Anchorage: Babel in Reverse. Electronic speakers are strung across the archway. Each one echoes a story, a song, poetry spoken in different tongues. A big bulk of it is very personal stories about how somebody ended up、uh, being pushed out of where they came from and then arrived at the city. Events that happened in their personal lives, like marriages and、uh, deaths and etc. That was Owen Trueblood, one of the creators of the installation. He says for first-time visitors, hearing all these voices could be overwhelming. Suddenly, you hear somebody talking behind your head, and you're not sure if it's actually a real person or not. It can be a kind of a, a scary experience. But after the potential initial shock, listeners can hear the linguistic diversity of New York City. Part of what makes New York special is the diversity that we have here, and so much of that has to do with language and kind of where everyone's from. Kind of harkens back to New York City being a city made by immigrants. It's an immigrant city. That was Joseph Morris, Trueblood's fellow co-creator of the installation. He was particularly drawn to the music when sorting through all the audio. The songs really stick out. This is a song in Loke. It's the native language of an indigenous group from the Upper Mustang region of Nepal. 
She is singing about homesickness, or as its title translates, a longing to see the village. But Morris says you don't necessarily have to know Loke or any of the other multilingual songs in the installation to understand their meanings. There's still a feeling that's captured in them. Oftentimes they sound like lullabies even, so soothing, but also having a, a sense of longing. Then some of the songs are also, they feel very celebratory at the same time. Morris and Trueblood are tech-driven artists based in Brooklyn. They collaborated with the Endangered Language Alliance, or ELA, in Manhattan, who provided over 200 archived tapes to bring the installation to life. Without them, we could not have made the piece. Those 200 tracks didn't appear from nowhere. They, they're the product of years of, of going out and actively searching and interviewing and um, cataloging these languages. Trueblood says looking at the ELA's research was eye-opening. I was blown away to learn that there are more than 700 languages spoken around the city. And counting, there are probably, there are more. That was Ross Perlin, one of the directors of the ELA. He spent over a decade making an interactive map of all the languages spoken across the city. It's input from hundreds and hundreds of conversations with speakers, language activists from different communities. It was all about sort of filling in that gap that the census leaves where it doesn't really cover most of these languages. Perlin says that his map accounts for seven times the number of languages the New York City census found. Many of these languages fell through the cracks because they're not as widely spoken. And he says that's also a factor that's led to their disappearance. You know, people are under enormous pressure uh, when immigrating here to, uh, you know, to shift not only to English, actually, but to Spanish, Mandarin, Nepali, to other larger languages that are important throughout the city. As a result, over 200 languages spoken in New York City could be lost within two generations. You know, it's, it's an interesting situation. It's where, on the one hand, this is a, a place that receives enormous flows of, of linguistic diversity, but they mostly just kind of flow through here. And all the potential sort of gains of that multilingualism, a lot of it is not realized. But Anchorage Babel in Reverse gives New Yorkers the opportunity to hear the many languages that make up the soundtrack of the city. And who knows, maybe someone will cross paths with the language they once knew, but have since forgotten. With WFUV News, I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. That was WFUV's Nicoletta Papavasilakis talking about the Endangered Language Exhibition in Dumbo. If you'd like to learn more about the installation, you can visit downtownbrooklyn.com. And that's it from us. But you can check out the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up every Friday for more features exclusively from the WFUV Newsroom. And make sure to check out the WFUV What's What Daily Podcast. It explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues surrounding the New York metropolitan area. And it includes features and interviews, just like the ones you heard, exclusively from FUV. You can catch new episodes every weekday at 3, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or find out more at WFUVnews.org. I'm Jay Doherty. And I'm Megan Oftermatt.